Hello, my friends. I'm Pastor Caleb Gordon at First Baptist Church in Cedarville, Kansas. Uh, This week, we've got a little bit different setup for our message. We had a friend of mine named Danny Lee come and share his testimony. It's a moving testimony. He is in the midst of stage four cancer. And to hear his testimony of how God has been faithful to him during this season is just jaw-dropping. And my hope is that it, it would encourage you and challenge you and just give you hope this week. Um, If you'd like more information about what we're doing at our church, check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. Blessings on you all this week. Love you all. Good morning. Um, My name's Danny Lee, and just real quick with me here, I've got my wife, and I got a couple young boys that spent the night with us last night and got surprised by this, Uh, and then my, her, and then my mom. My mom there on the end, and they just wanted to come along and hear this. Um, it's been about a month ago. I I serve at uh, Dewey Christian Church down in Dewey, where I live. And about a month ago, I was kind of uh, voluntold that I was going to do a sermon <laughs> while in the minister's absence. And uh, so I preached on, on interruptions, which is something... God had kind of put on my heart anyway. I had been, I had been working on that message. But, uh, you know, I talked about interruptions in our lives and how God's so often not in our plans, but a lot of times He's in our interruptions. Um, and in that message, I went through the people in the Bible who were interrupted by God, whose lives were changed, you know, the, whose paths were steered differently by God and pretty much everybody if they're mentioned in the Bible in one way or another their lives were steered by God um, but you know I talked about the the interruptions that we have in our lives you know we've got the big interruptions we've got sicknesses we've got you know family members passing away friends leaving us divorce you know there's all kinds of kinds of big life-changing Interruptions, but then there's the small ones. You know, there's the flat tire, there's the car accident, there's the, you know, alarm went off, and you didn't hear it, so you're late for work. But then there's the good interruptions. You know, you've come home from work and you're tired and you're sitting in your easy chair, and the kiddo comes running up and says, "Daddy, color this page with me." And you know, you want nothing more than to just sit there and just forget about your day and just relax and just cut loose but you know your kids need you you know um those are the the good interruptions and as christians it's a really big deal how we respond to these interruptions whether we embrace them or whether we you know just get irritated by them so my story um, it's kind of a long. It took me three and a half hours to do this yesterday. I hope you guys are comfortable. <laughs> now, um, my story starts. I was born and raised in Copan. Born in 1978. Um, I was raised in the church. I started going to church nine months before I was born, and I continued continued at that same church up until I was old enough to make my own decisions and. You know, at that point in life, we don't always make the right decisions. Um, 
graduated high school in 96, went to work for my dad. He owns a construction company. Um, spent most of my free time working on cars and drinking beer. That was, those were my priorities at that time. Um, in August of 1998, I, I got married to the girl that I had been with for, the, for a few years and um, <clears throat> I just, we stayed there around Bartlesville area, continued to work for Lee Construction and my wife Stacy, she was going to uh, Roger State College and at that time we had started to attend First Baptist Church in Bartlesville. That's going to be about the time when I met Caleb for the first time. Um, Stacy got accepted into grad school and going to get her doctorate at, uh, at Oklahoma State. And so we moved to Stillwater. And she got busy with school. I got busy with work. I was working for the railroad and I was traveling. I wasn't home much. And things kind of got a little bit rocky in our marriage. Things weren't just fantastic. Um, one night, Stacy came to me and told me that she wanted a divorce. And, you know, I knew things were rough, but I had no idea that, that they were that rough. Um, you know, we had, we had fallen out of church. We had lost sight of, of what it took to make a marriage work and to, you know, to live the lives that, that we're told to live. But I was, I was blindsided, to say the least. And so we started down that path of divorce. And it took us almost three years to get it finalized. You know, we went through phases. We tried to work it out. Um, at one point in the process, I begged her to go see a counselor, to go see a minister. And she refused. And then later she begged me to do the same thing, and I refused. We just couldn't get on the same page at the same time. And so it didn't work. And so our divorce got finalized. But just shortly before our divorce was finalized, um, Stacy was in Stillwater and I had moved back to the Bartlesville area. And I ran into Dana, who was one of my old high school sweethearts. And she had just gotten a divorce. She had two kids. And, uh, you know, we had some common ground. We'd both just gotten, gotten out of a failed marriage, and things just really clicked with us, and we just really enjoyed spending time together. And like I said, this was before my divorce was finalized. Um, as I was writing this out, trying to figure out how, what I was exactly going to say, there's no good way to say that I had a wife and a girlfriend, but that was the case. You know, and there's a lot of things that happened during this time in my life that, you know, I'm not very proud of. And I just, I'm thankful for God's redeeming grace and His mercy. Um, after my divorce was finalized... You know, Dana and I, we had moved in together, and we started attending Dewey Christian Church. 
somehow through all of what we had gone through and all the sin and all the mistakes, we knew that we needed Christ. We knew that we needed God. So we were living together. We started attending that church. And, you know, it's just like, just like we've always been told. You know, if you repent and turn away from your sin, God is there. You don't have to go looking for Him. He's right there and His arms are open wide. He's ready to, he's ready to, to redeem you. And we, uh, we sold ourselves pretty well as a married couple because we got a new minister at the church. And after, after a month or two, he, he decided to come and do a home visit with us. And it was that night in our dining room that he found out we weren't even married. <laughs> kind of an awkward situation to say the least. Um, you know, and Dana and I weren't necessarily that sold on the need for getting married. You know, we kind of felt like it was a, it was more of a government thing. It was more of a, a legalistic thing than it was anything else. You know, it was just, you know, just a piece of paper. But God worked on us, and our families worked on us, and our friends, they worked on us. And finally, in May of 2012... I called Casey, our minister, and I said, hey, what are you doing Saturday morning? So a handful of us met up at the church, and Dana and I were married. Um, Dana worked for Walmart at the time, and, of course, I was, I was back to working for Lee Construction. And, you know, things were going pretty good. In 2014, in April, Dana had an opportunity to to leave Walmart and go to work for the local credit union. Pretty big change. She wasn't, she wasn't completely convinced that it was the right move for her, but, you know, the hours were better. She got to work banker's hours. Um, and I don't know what you guys know about Walmart, but if you work for Walmart, then Walmart owns you. And they never close. So she took the job with the credit union but she held on to Walmart just in case. And for several months, she worked both jobs because she wasn't completely convinced that the, the banker life was for her. But as, as you'll see, God, God was moving her where she needed to be. Um, like I said, I was working for, uh, for my dad at, at Lee Construction. <clears throat> and you know, it's... It can be tough working with family, and and mine is no exception. the uh, The relationship between my dad and I was was getting to be pretty strained. You know, I was I had been doing construction at this point for I don't know, twelve years, fifteen years. No, more than that. But anyway, I'd been doing it long enough that that I was pretty competent and. You know, I wanted to do things my way, but he was the boss, so I lost that fight. <laughs> I lost that fight pretty much daily, and that didn't help. Um, you know, my dad and I, there's probably no two people in the world that are any more alike than him and I, and I'm grateful for that. It got to the point where on a Saturday I wouldn't take his call because... I had had enough of him by the end of Friday. 
you know, maybe he wanted to go fishing or maybe he wanted to do whatever. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to. I had seen enough of him. I come to the conclusion that I had to find a new dad or I had to find a new boss. And dads are in short supply. You can find a job anywhere. I had a good friend at the time that was working for a big construction outfit out of Tulsa. And he, upon talking with him, and he said, you know, everything that you don't like about working for your dad and everything that causes you to not get along with him is everything that's going to make you work and work out well for Crossland. I said, okay. So in April of 2016, I started work as a construction superintendent for Crossland Construction. This was uh, this was 100% a God a God thing. This was God moving me where I needed to go because my whole life I had been the the future owner of Lee Construction. That was my future. I was going to take over the family business, and that's what I was going to do. But just as uh, you know, just as it tells us in Proverbs 16:9. You know, we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. God knew where I needed to be. So using what I'd been taught working for my dad ever since I was big enough to pick up a hammer, I excelled at Crossland Construction. Pretty soon I was running my own work. My first job that they put me on as the superintendent was $2.2 million dollars. That's more than than Lee Construction probably does in three years. And I remember calling my dad and I said, Dad, these people are crazy. You know, they're putting me in charge of this job and it's, it's $2.2 million. Dad just said, no, you can do this. You've got it. You know, by this time, my dad and I were closer than we had ever been, you know, to this day, my dad and I talk almost every day, and he is, he's my biggest fan. He, uh, you know, he knew, he had taught me, taught me well and taught me what I needed to know to, to, to do this job that I had been, then been put in charge of. Excuse me. So now, Dana was settled in at the credit union. I had a great career with Crossland Construction. Um, I had, in marrying Dana, I got two kids. They were, at the time that we got together, they were four and 10. Now they're 21 and 16. Um, But I had, uh, I had really fallen into this role of, of being a father. Life was good. We'd bought a house and everything was, everything was going on like, like it was planned. <clears throat> At this time, I had a conversation with my dad that I'll never forget. I told him one day how proud of him I was. He said, proud of me? He said, what are you proud of me for? And I said, well, Dad, when I was in my early 20s, you didn't know anything. 
I said, but now that I'm in my 30s and I'm raising these boys, you've got a lot of good things to offer. <laughs> he just looked at me and grinned and said, yeah, son, it was me that learned. <laughs> in May of 2018, I turned 40 years old. And a month later, in June, I heard words that nobody ever wants to hear. You have cancer. I'd been passing blood for a little while, and I had just kind of blown it off, kind of ignored it. You know, I'm a man. I'm tough. <laughs> Can't get me down. But finally, it got to the point where I was, I was getting concerned about it. So I went to the doctor, and I hadn't mentioned anything to my wife about it until the day I told her I needed her to take me in for a colonoscopy. You can imagine how well that went over. Um, <clears throat> this, this really starts the, the roller coaster that is my life. They did scans. They checked, did a, did a colonoscopy. They did a CT scan. They looked around, did some blood work, and they found a, a tumor inside of my colon. They said, okay... You know, colon cancer is the most treatable kind of cancer. We can, we can take care of this. It hasn't come through the colon wall yet, so it should all be contained there. We're going to do this surgery. Two days you'll be out of the hospital. You won't have to worry about cancer anymore. Like, okay, fantastic. Sign me up. So I have the surgery. A few days later, I get the call. Well, we're sorry, but uh, we test, took some lymph nodes out while we were in there and tested them. And they showed, they tested positive for cancer. So, you know, the cancer's in your lymphatic system, which basically means it can go anywhere it wants. So now we're going to need you to do six months of chemo. Okay, so we do six months of chemo, take one treatment every two weeks. Um, we come to the end of that road, I get tested. Blood shows all clear, CT scan shows all clear, no signs of disease. I, I had beat cancer. Life was great. Things were going great at my job. I had been able to work the whole time through my chemo. I just took a couple of days off following treatment, and then I was just right back at it. Um, Crossland had worked with me really well. I had acquired a septic pumping business from a couple of guys that I knew and they were getting out of the business and so I acquired that business from them and I was doing that on the side and it had grown and it was getting to the point where I was thinking about thinking about leaving Crossland so I could be be my own boss be self-employed again I was exercising in better shape than I had been probably in my whole life eating good but I started to gain weight, and I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. Um, this went on for a little while, and my belly just kept growing. I wasn't gaining weight anywhere else but just in my belly. It got to the point that I couldn't see my feet. Um, so I go to the doctor, and uh, they do some blood work, confirm that the cancer's back. You know, no, 
no super big red flags from the the cancer doctors they're just you know well we're gonna have to do some more treatments and all the weight gain was due to my my body was trying to flush those tumors out so it was putting every bit of fluid it could into my abdomen area and of course it had nowhere to go then so I had to go get it drained they took took six liters out of my stomach one Friday afternoon that's about the equivalent of a of a baby <clears throat> but <clears throat> upon testing that fluid it also contained cancer and so you know this this time I can start to really see God I can look back in my life and see where he was where he was moving the pieces and putting me where I needed to be because I was making plans to leave Crossland. Had, had my cancer put itself off for 60 more days, I would have been self-employed. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'd have been on my own. My insurance is through my wife's work, but I still got to get paid. Upon hearing my cancer had returned, um, my boss, Ivan Crossland who is one of the, I think there's seven Crossing brothers that own that company. But upon hearing that I got, my cancer was back, he called Beverly in our HR department, and he told her to call around the country and find the best colon cancer doctor in the United States. And that's where they were going to send me. Whether insurance covered it or not, Crossing was going to pay for it out of pocket if that's what it took. <clears throat> you know, not very many, not very many companies would even consider a thought like that. So Bev set out to find the best doctor. So we find out it's at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. We call up there. It's a six to eight week wait to even get in to see the doctor. So two months that I'm supposed to just allow this cancer to grow before I can see the doctor. Well, Beverly calls me and she says, I've had to do this before. I know how this works. So two or three times every day, Beverly would call me and she'd say, hey, I've got you on three-way. I'm calling the Mayo Clinic. And every day she would call the Mayo Clinic and she said, yes, I've got Danny Lee on the line. He's... He's Mayo Clinic number 12620429, and we need to see if you guys have got an opening. And this went on for 10 days. Every day, we called three times a day until finally, within two weeks, we were at the Mayo Clinic. Yes, God was once again working. September 11th, 2019. I got in to see my doctor at the Mayo Clinic. Upon looking at my scans and looking at the blood work and, and what had happened, <clears throat> a doctor told me I had three years to live. This pretty much hit like a ton of bricks. We hadn't been... We hadn't been told even about the possibility of that by our doctors at home. 
my mom and my wife were both in the room with me, and I honestly thought my mom was going to pass out. But this doctor wasn't shocked at all. He said, yeah, 25, 30% of the time we see it come back. And when it comes back like this, it comes back mean. <clears throat> but you know, I, I told that doctor that I appreciated his opinion on the matter. But I also know that he's bound by science. And my God is bigger than cancer. And God alone would determine my days on this earth. Amen. <clears throat> so they started me on chemo at this point. And the chemo, chemo was simply just so I could make it to that three years. There was no, the doctor told me I had no chance of surgery. I had no hope of being cured. This is just... We need you on chemo so we can stretch this out. So I go in April of 2020 after being on chemo for a few months. And this doctor is just absolutely blown away. My tumors were shrinking. Some of them weren't even there anymore. The treatment was working. So the, the doctor completely appalled said well we need to ramp up your treatments we need to we need to up the frequency of your treatments and then we're going to get you back here in April, or in August when you can meet with the surgeon now this is the same doctor that told me I never would have surgery but in August I met with the surgeon he liked what he saw said he could fix it um and in September, we went to Mayo, and he kept me open. And he kept me open from, from my sternum to my pelvis. And he just peeled me back, and he told me what he was going to do. He said, I'm going to get in there with both hands, and I'm going to pull out everything that looks like cancer. And that's what he did. And let me tell you, he wasn't gentle. <laughs> it, was a, uh, it was a rather lengthy recovery. So, you know, this was, like I said, this was in September of, of 2020. And this was when COVID was in one of its first stages of crazy. And apparently at, at Mayo, COVID could only enter the building between the hours of 6 in the evening till 8 in the morning. Because they would allow my wife to come in and see me from 8 in the morning till 6 in the evening. And then she had to leave again. She couldn't spend the night, which, you know, makes a little more sense to me that she stay in the hospital. But instead, she had to leave and go to the hotel and then come back the next morning. My mom was up there with us for the surgery, and so they got to hang out in the evenings in the hotel. But it gave me a bunch of time to be by myself. And I was clipping along pretty good, recovering. Um... Probably, I don't remember if it was the third or fourth day after my surgery. I had got up. I would got up early that morning. And I felt good. Went into the bathroom. And I shaved for the first time in a few weeks. 
took a lap down the hall, and uh, I even walked down to the waiting room in front of the elevators where I knew Dana would be coming up. Walked with her back to the room. We, uh, we spent the day together, and I noticed towards the end of the day I was really wearing down. I didn't have I didn't have the energy. I couldn't hardly you know, I I could walk to the bathroom, but I had to take a break before I could walk back to the bed. Well, turns out after six o'clock, of course, we found out I was losing blood. So they give me a unit of red blood cells and said, Oh yeah, when you get this, you're gonna feel like Superman. This'll this'll make you feel way better. Okay. So they give it to me. I don't notice any difference. They check my blood a couple hours later. They don't notice any difference. Apparently I'm losing blood somewhere. Nobody's sure why. Um, I was laying in bed that night. 1 a.m. in the morning. They come in and get me. I'm like, where are we going? Well, you've got a CT scan. It doesn't take a real genius to know that a 1 a.m. CT scan is not scheduled. You know, that's not, uh, that's not planned. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in a panic. And, of course, the guy running me down the hall, he doesn't, do anything but, he doesn't do anything but deliver patients to the CT area. So he doesn't know. He just knows he's supposed to bring me down there. So I, don't, I have a hard time getting any information about what's going on. So they do the CT scan, they take me back to my room, give me two more units of blood. A couple hours later, the doctors come in and they tell me they don't know. The, the CT can, scan was inconclusive. They said, uh, come morning, when the doctor comes back on, of course, obviously the primary doctor who's not working the night shift, when he comes back on, um, if we've got, if we've got, no answers by then. We're going to open you back up. We're going to start over. You know, I talked to God that night like I've never talked to God before. My little brother begged me not to get this surgery because he was scared to death that when they opened me up like they do so many times, the cancer just spreads like wildfire and it's game over. All I could think that night was Kenny was right. I'm not going to go home. This is it. But sometime in that late morning hours, God fixed me. Because when the doctor came in that morning, my blood counts were back up. Amen. <clears throat> Nothing they had done. They didn't have an explanation other than I had stopped bleeding. <clears throat> so after nine weeks of healing, I was back at work. November 2020, got a checkup once again. I'm cancer-free. January 21, my blood counts start climbing again. The cancer's back. Here we go again with the chemo. 
And I don't know what you guys know about chemo, but it's terrible. You know, God, God blessed me with, with the strength and the endurance to get through this chemotherapy because I'm not on chemo now, but I don't look any different now than I did when I was in the midst of my chemo. Um, I've had over 40 treatments of chemotherapy in the last three and a half years. And almost every doctor and every nurse I've seen has been shocked, even to this day, that I am stage four cancer and I've been through what I've been through. When they look at my chart and then I walk in the room and they meet me for the first time, they're like, am I in the right room? <laughs> um, <clears throat> but God has given me the, the strength to keep moving. So, after a couple months, we go back for a follow-up. Chemo 1, it's not working. So, we move on, try another one. Two months later, we go back. Chemo 2, it's not working either. Then we switch up and we go with chemo number 3. With chemo number 3... I get a severe rash, skin irritation, sensitivity to the sunlight, and I find out that not only is chemo number three not working, now the cancer is spread, and it's in my liver and in my lungs. Up until then, it had just been superficial. It hadn't attacked any of my organs. Um... First week in December, I started having pains in my abdomen. Saturday morning, I woke up and I was I was hurting right here, and I I I didn't know. I thought, well, you know, Friday I did quite a bit at work. Maybe I overdid it. Maybe I've kind of strained a muscle. So I ignored it Saturday. Ignored it on Sunday. Monday morning, I got up just like normal. Five thirty in the morning, headed for Tulsa. I was hurting. I was hurting pretty good. And I thought, man, what if something is really wrong? Because the pain was definitely not lessening. It was, it was definitely ramping up. And I thought, you know what? What if, what if something's really wrong? What if my appendix is about to rupture? I don't want to be in Tulsa where they know nothing about me and my history and have something like this go on. So I turned around. I go back home. I wake Dana up said, hey, we need to go to the emergency room. Something's not right. So I go in there, I talk to the doctor. They give me some pills uh, or some, they give me some drugs to make me feel better. Did some scans. Of course, looking at the scan, the ER doctor's pretty, pretty puzzled because my insides don't look like they used to. <laughs> things, have, things have been moved around a little bit. And so she called my oncologist and, and consulted with him, come back in the room and let me know that all my organs are functioning properly. Everything looks good. Blood work looks good. Um, the problem is, the reason I was hurting, is the tumors are getting so big that they're pushing on things that shouldn't be pushed on. 
They're adding pressure to places that don't need it. And that's why I was hurting. You know, I went to the, went to the ER that morning praying for appendicitis. <laughs> but that wasn't the case. The doctor said, the only thing we can do for you is we can give you some pain pills and make you more comfortable. You know, that's never something that you want to hear. Um, at this point, I was already on chemo number four. And I didn't need a doctor to tell me it wasn't working. I could feel the effects of it. Because this is the first time in my life or, you know, first time in my history of cancer that I felt the cancer. I felt the pain. Up until that point, the worst thing about cancer was treatment. But <clears throat> when we started chemo number four, the doctor pretty much told us it wasn't going to work. She said, basically, we've, uh, we've played our varsity we put in the sophomores, we put in the JV, and now we've put in the eighth grade team. And we're not asking much of them, we just need them to win the state title. <laughs> you know, that puts it in perspective. Um, so it's no big surprise that, that that chemo didn't work. This brings us to January of, of this year. We go back to Mayo for a follow-up, and they look at the scans, and the, the cancers continued to grow. Now I have, I have enough tumors that we're not even counting them anymore. I don't know. I don't know how many they are. But uh, Mayo Clinic told me there's nothing they can do for me. They said that I need to go home, and I need to, to get with a palliative care doctor, which is just a fancy way of saying hospice they said there may be some clinical trial options that you know I would have to do something close to home because um, it's going to require a lot of trips to the doctor so ten and a half hours at Rochester was out of the question but they said maybe KU or OU would be an option maybe get a clinical trial um, KU came through first, which, being an Oklahoma State fan, I'm kind of glad, because <laughs> I didn't want to risk going to OU. <laughs> um, but I've done a couple of uh, a couple of con consultations with KU, and I'm actually, hopefully this week, they're going to do a radiation therapy on my liver, just to shrink the tumors there. Um, you know, I'm trying some, some natural stuff that modern medicine doesn't approve of, but as we all know, our God can work with anything. In fact, our God can work with nothing. Um, you know, there's a few things here that just really, that really have stood out to me that God has worked in my life. You know, the first, first one is, is pretty plain for me to see is our jobs. Had Dana stayed at Walmart, 
probably within the first two months, she would have been terminated for absences. Because she goes to all my appointments. She goes to all my treatments. You know, we want to be together every chance we can. And, you know, Walmart doesn't allow for that. And at Truity, between her vacation and her sick time and FMLA, she's hardly missed a day's pay. And at this point now, she can call them at 7.30 in the morning and say, you know what, I need a day with my husband. And they say, okay, stay home. Had I stayed with Lee Construction, you know, my dad would have killed himself working to support me. And still never been able to do a fraction of what Crossland has done. They've paid me almost every day for the last four years as if I was there. They've paid for and arranged all our hotel stays every time we went to Mayo Clinic. And even provided rental cars and plane tickets if we needed them to fly. And I met with my boss last week and they show no signs of slowing down. You know, the other, other option I had was the septic business. You know, I was, I was this close to being self-employed. Had, had God's timing not been what it was, I would have left Crossland. I would have left all that. And it turns out I sold that septic business to my little brother. And now he's running it. It got him out of corporate America. And he works for himself now and is doing very good. And I've been given the I've been given the chance to to touch many lives. Countless opportunities to share my story, just like I'm doing right here. <clears throat> but even more so just in the casual day-to-day -day conversation. Um I had a I had a run-in with a guy in Tulsa in a park store that I knew growing up. He lived in the house behind us growing up. He was, he was my dad's age, probably actually a little bit older than my dad. I'd say he's 70-ish. But I ran into him at the parts store in Tulsa, and we talked. I told him, you know, my story. He told me his story about he had had a heart attack and told me where he was attending church and where he had moved. It, and I told him then, because I was really struggling, I said, you know, I said, I really get the feeling that God's keeping me around. I said, I just need to know why. And Rush just looked at me and he said, you don't know? I said, no. I don't. He said, you just did it. He said, you ran into me in the parts store and you shared God with me. You know, I've been able to witness to other people that are in the same boat. I sat in waiting rooms and cancer centers all over the country. You know what? You don't have to go very far to find somebody who has been affected or has a family member that has been affected by cancer. You know, I went to a men's breakfast a couple of years back. 
kind of like the one I went to yesterday with Caleb. But we were sitting at the table, and I was with a friend of mine, and there was another gentleman sitting next to me, and I shared my story with him, and then he shared his story with me about his battle with cancer. And as we left, my friend Bob said, don't you ever get tired of talking about that? You know, don't you ever get tired of talking about cancer? And I said, no, I don't get tired of talking about that because I get to share God. Um, my father-in-law has recently accepted Jesus into his heart. Four years ago, he wouldn't even, wouldn't even consider it. You know, and then it gradually started. He, uh, he started telling me that he had been out in the garage working and he had talked to God about me today. He was praying. You know, my little brother, closer to God, he's actually started going to church for the first time in his adult life. I don't know that that's my fault, but I, I like to think it played a part. And I'm an, ex, an extremely positive person. If you see me on the street and you ask me how I'm doing, my answer is fantastic. That's what I'll tell you. You know, so I've got to witness to lots of doctors and nurses. I was in the surgery suite at the Mayo Clinic getting ready for my surgery and sitting on the edge of the bed, and they're hooking up monitors and machines, and the nurse asked me, well, how are you doing? And I said, I'm doing fantastic. She says, how can you be fantastic? You're getting ready to have surgery. I said, yeah, I'm getting ready to have a surgery that, that they said I'd never have to remove cancer. I said, so yes, I'm fantastic. You know, I've had several conversations with physicians. You know, that they can't understand why when they give me what should be life-shattering news, why I'm not crying, why I'm not upset. You know, Dana was sitting beside me in one of those meetings, and she was crying, and she was upset, and the doctor was crying, and he apologized to me, and I said, you don't need to apologize. It's nothing you did. And he said, I don't understand why you're so upset. Or he said, I don't understand why you're not upset. And I wish I had had it with me that day to say, it's because I know God's got this. But I didn't, I didn't come up with that. But I've had lots of opportunities. Um, at work, I've been a, been a witness to a lot of my coworkers. You know, one of my real close friends asked me a year ago when all of this really got bad and it came back, he said, I don't understand how you don't just go home and get drunk every night. I said, really? I said, what am I going to gain from that exactly? I said, I've, you know, when I was younger, I spent plenty of time drunk and I don't see any benefit for this current situation. <laughs> You know, um, I've got no desire for a hangover. That was my best description of chemotherapy. After chemotherapy, you feel like a hangover. You've got a hangover, and you didn't have any fun last night. <laughs> and then uh, here's the pretty obvious one. For my case, the tumors are on my liver. The last thing I probably ought to be doing is asking more of it. 
<laughs> you know, this is uh, this has no doubt been the absolute toughest trial I've ever faced in my life. But I have never felt this blessed. God has taken care of us. We've had friends do fundraisers and raise money for us. Crossing Construction has paid me for the last four years just like as if I've been there. We don't have any medical debt. We've been able to pay for everything as we've gone. Um, you know, right now, we've got my sister-in-law's doing a fundraiser for us so we can travel and take trips and go see things that we've never been able to see. And I have <clears throat> never been this strong and this close to my family. I've never been this close to my wife. We've always had an amazing relationship, but it it just gets stronger every day. And I have never even come close to walking this close to God. Amen. I just want to leave you with this. And I've actually made this statement to a doctor that I know for 100% sure that I will be healed from cancer. I just don't know what side of heaven I'm going to be on. Amen. Amen. What a magnificent testimony of God's faithfulness in the midst of tri tribulation. James chapter 1. I, I was thinking about what you said yesterday morning, Danny, and then I got to thinking last night as I was sitting in my recliner. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You've had a couple of trials. You've had a couple. For you know, verse 3 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You've been listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry of First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarvale, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas 67024. God bless you.